0: Scripture reading this morning will be found in Ephesians chapter five, verses 15 through 17. This is on page 978 in the Bibles that are available in the pew in front of you. Ephesians five, beginning in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the, of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand the will what the will of the lord is And the multitude rose up together against them. And the magistrates, the rulers, they, they stripped their clothes off. And they commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid stripes on them, that is not stripes as we think of them for prisoners wearing zebra stripes. They laid stripes on them from the beatings with the rods. They threw them into prison. They commanded the jailer to keep them securely, and having received such a charge, the jailer put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet with stocks. Naked, beaten, imprisoned, imprisoned in the inner prison, feet locked up with stocks, Acts chapter 16, verse 25, but at midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. This year as our theme is the, the idea of rising up and building and this month as we examine and look at the different parts of worship and, and how it is that we engage ourselves in worship this morning, I want us to talk about this idea of Singing. The Bible has some over 400 references to the idea or concept of singing. In fact, there are 50 direct commands to sing. We'll talk about a couple of those specifically this morning in the New Testament. You think about the book of Psalms, to a degree, is essentially an entire book of songs. But as we think about Paul and Silas in prison... You can, you can imagine yourself maybe being in that situation and, and for sure maybe praying, right? Praying, okay, God, please get me out of this situation. May, may I be able to sustain my life so that I can continue going on raising my children or, or doing the things that I need to do, whatever it may be. But singing. Paul and Silas were singing in prison at midnight. Have you ever wondered what song it was that they were singing Now, maybe we don't know exactly which psalm or or what uh, song they were singing from that day, but have you ever considered maybe just thinking what what modern-day hymn might they have been singing? Maybe they were singing, sing and be happy. If the skies above you are gray, you are feeling so blue. That was a situation that Paul and Silas were in to a degree as they were in prison. In fact, they couldn't see the gray skies because they were in the inner prison, Maybe they were singing, It is well with my soul. Maybe they were saying, No matter the, the difficulty or the, the troubles in life, they say, Even so, Lord, it is well with my soul. Maybe farther along, you know, tempted and tried, we're oft made to wonder why it should be thus all the day long, why there are others living in sunshine, never molested, though in the wrong. But here I am, God. I'm the one that, that is singing and, and doing the things that you want me to do. And I'm in prison. Maybe they were singing that type of song, but really meaning it from a, from a good angle. Maybe they were singing, Count Your Many Blessings. In prison, they were in a situation that you and I have perhaps never been, and yet they were singing and praising the Lord. In fact, the, the prisoners were listening to them. They heard, they heard the singing that Paul and Silas were doing. Consider with me some of the singing that we see in the Bible. It looks like our format got a little bit messed up so hopefully you'll continue to be able to read it. The singing in the Bible. Consider that even from the very beginning of creation that there was singing said to have taken place. And Job chapter 38 verse 7 talks about the sons uh, of glory and the, 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 the shining stars. Uh, many commentators believe uh, that these individuals were perhaps the, the angels. But perhaps imagine seeing, uh, yourself in a, in, a, in a movie scene and, and as you think about uh, how Hollywood might produce uh, the, the creation and that maybe there's some sort of loud singing as every single account of creation was taking place. It, we find... In Job chapter 38, verse 7, as as God is speaking to Job in this account, he's asking him, where were you, Job, when the foundations of the world were laid, when the singing took place at the very beginning of time? In Job chapter 38, verse 7, singing also takes place to a degree, in a way, by creation. Psalm chapter 96 verse 12 and Isaiah uh, chapter 44 and, and chapter 55 both give indication of this idea of, of creation, even the trees singing to a degree. Maybe not the singing that you and I engage in, but, but in a metaphorical sense there's reference to creation even singing. Even after escape, you think about as the Israelites fled ac- out of Egypt and they, they made their way across the Red Sea and they, they went through on dry land and as they got across to the other side, the, the, the waters came back down over the, the tops of the chariots and, and the Egyptian army. And as all of that comes to a close, the entire, basically the entire chapter of Exodus chapter 15 is a song. The, the children of Israel and Moses are singing in, re- in response to this situation that they were in. In celebration in Numbers chapter 21, after the Israelites, being individuals that are going from place to place, they come across a well, a well of water, and they are singing. We also have uh, singing in times of, of transition and ceremony. In this particular case, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, we have the mantle being passed from, from Moses uh, to Joshua as the new leader. And as Moses was not able to enter into the promised land, there was singing that takes place, basically, uh, that, that a large part of that chapter there in Deuteronomy chapter 31. If we're to continue on considering uh, singing that took place after victory or in victory, the, the account in Judges chapter 5 of Deborah and Barak, and even in 1 Samuel chapter number 18 verse 7, we have the account of, of the women singing about the fact that though Saul killed his thousands, David killed his ten thou- tens of thousands. There was singing even in victory they're singing in accomplishment in Second Chronicles, chapter number five, verse 13, at the completion of the temple. They're singing in desperation. There's an interesting account in Second Chronicles, chapter 20, in which uh, Jehoshaphat was leading this particular army or battle, and he was uh, in a situation that was desperate to the degree that he ends up putting singers at the front lines of the battle, and they end up winning that battle. They're singing in emotion. In and and the Song of Solomon, if we think about the, the fact that it's titled as a song, this Song of Solomon, we have singing in times of mourning, as we know the book of Lamentations, singing in times of mer- remembrance in Isaiah chapter 26 verse 1, and then it's in, in times of, of request in Habakkuk chapter 3, and then we, we could even consider the entire book of Psalms as we referenced earlier. But consider this, this is something that I had never noticed until until I was studying for this lesson, but in the prophet Zephaniah, the account of the prophet Zephaniah, uh, perhaps a book that maybe we're not as familiar with, one that we don't turn to real often, uh, the, the, the prophet was prophesying uh, during this time uh, of King Josiah, and this individual was communicating on the Lord's behalf the fact that there was going to be coming destruction and, and, and taking away of, of Judah to captivity, to Babylon, as we talked about uh, this morning in, in our Bible class here in the auditorium about Daniel. And there's this, there's this despair on the horizon and this, this worry and this concern about what's going to take place, and, and, and rightfully so. But in the, in the, prophet, the prophet Zephaniah goes on to talk about the fact that eventually there will be a faithful remnant that returns. And that eventually, God would bring his people back to Jerusalem. And there would be a a rebuilding of the temple. But notice what what is said in in Zephaniah chapter number 3. In verse number 14, Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. This is a prophetic uh, t- speaking of, of the, the coming uh, victory or return out of, this, out of this captivity. The king of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. you shall see disaster, no more. But notice, continue with me, verse 16. "In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, "Do not fear, Zion, let your hands be weak. Let not your hands be weak. The Lord your God, in your midst. The mighty one will save. Now notice, He, God will rejoice over you with gladness. Notice, he will quiet you with his love, and here's where I was getting to, he will rejoice over you with singing. God, singing. In Matthew chapter 26, verse number 30, after the institution of the Lord's Supper and before the, de- uh, the denial and the betrayal of Jesus, We have these individuals coming together, Jesus among them, uh, as it seems, coming together and singing a hymn. Even God sings. So what is it this morning, what is it about singing that is such such an integral part of who God's people are? Why is singing important? Why should we be involved in it? This morning we're going to consider make three observations. We're going to notice the mandate to sing. We're going to consider the music of singing, and we're going to examine the motivation for singing. Consider with me, number one, the mandate to sing. The mandate to sing. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 3. I know that's two different verses, and so how are we supposed to turn to both? We're going to go back and forth between them, so you might as well hold your finger between those two. Ephesians chapter 5, we had our, our scripture reading earlier from verses 15 through 17, and then we come to verses 18 and 19. Those are the verses we're going to read at this time, and then we'll jump over to Colossians chapter 3. Ephesians and Colossians, very close to each other, written by Paul. And we're going to notice here in just a second that they are very similar in their structure. Ephesians chapter 5, turn with me there to verse number 18. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but rather... Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Now notice Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, or verse 15 and 16. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I want us, as we consider this idea of the mandate to sing, to first notice the context. Go back with me to Ephesians. As you consider the context, we're going to look at the larger, the broader context of this particular book. And we're going to see how this command to sing fits into the greater picture. In Ephesians, there's oftentimes an outline that is is made of this particular book. Some individuals will say chapters 1 through 3 are about the wealth of a Christian. The wealth of a Christian. Notice chapter 1, verse number 3 of Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And so as we think about the wealth of a Christian, it's because of Christ that we have this great uh, idea or this great thought of of Jesus being our king and our master. It's because of him that we can eventually, as we'll get to, sing. So we have chapters 1 through 3 about the wealth of a Christian. But then if we were to outline, we'd say chapters 4 through 6 could be about the walk of a Christian. Notice chapter 4, verse number 1. I therefore, based upon everything that we just said in chapters 1 through 3, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, Paul, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. To walk worthy. So we have the wealth of a Christian, now we have the walk of a Christian, to walk worthy. If we're to turn all the way now to chapter number 5 and verse number 1, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So we have the wealth of a Christian. We're looking at now the walk of a Christian in chapter 5 verse 1 and verse 2 and then also verse number 8. For you were once darkness but now you are children uh, now you are light and the Lord walk as children of light. Walk in the light. And then we come to our scripture reading from earlier. Chapter 5 verse number 15. See then, considering all those things about Jesus and considering the fact that we are to be followers of his see then that you walk circumspectly, carefully, carefully Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, that is, what would be considered to be or associated with darkness, in which is dissipation, but rather, instead, be filled with the Spirit. And then we get into the verse that we are considering this morning, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. So you see the background, the the, the greater context, the walk of a Christian and the wealth of a Christian. Now look at Colossians. A very similar structure. very similar structure in which we would say that in Colossians chapter 1, Paul is writing about the supremacy of Christ. The supremacy of Christ. So just as we considered earlier in Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, the wealth of a Christian, now we're considering the supremacy of Christ. Because of Christ, Christians have wealth, and not wealth in a physical sense in that we have money in our pockets, but rather the blessings, the spiritual blessings of Jesus Christ. And as we consider Colossians, now we're looking at the supremacy of Christ, chapter number one. We're looking at the sufficiency of Christ, chapter number two. And then if we were to look at chapters three and four, chapter three being where our other passage about singing is found, we're going to notice that it's about our sacrifice and our servanthood. So you see the parallels. Chapters one through three of Ephesians, the wealth of a Christian. Chapters one and two of Colossians, The supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. Based upon all of these things over here, walk, serve, sacrifice. Ephesians chapter 4 through 6 and Colossians chapter 3 and 4. And so as we come to our text, our specific verses this morning, realize that 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 is then the background of what we're considering. So consider the context, but also notice the catalyst. Notice the catalyst. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 18, Do not be drunk with wine, which is, filled, which is dissipation, but rather be filled with the Spirit. Individuals that, as we consider the, 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 the fruit of the Spirit, individuals that uh, are, are producing that fruit in, in their life, and as we see them, they're, they're Spirit-led, and they're individuals that are following after the things of the Spirit. They are individuals that then, in turn, as their catalyst, that being the Spirit, they are singing. They are speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Notice also in Colossians chapter 3, a very si- in a very similar sense and idea as we think how the Spirit can work through the Word. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. What in turn was, is then going to happen? You are then going to be individuals that teach and admonish one another, singing psalms, uh, t- uh, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So notice the catalyst, the Spirit, the Word of God behind these things, considering how, we, how it is that we know about the wealth of a Christian and, and the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ because of the Word, because of what has been revealed to us. But notice also, as we have already considered the greater idea of the mandate, consider the this, this specific command. I want you to notice there's four things, and really more, but four specific things I want us to notice about both of these texts. Both of these texts, Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16, carry with them the idea of, number one, the principle or concept of one another. One another. Singing involves you and me. It doesn't involve just me or just you. It involves both of us, one another. Secondly, consider the fact that in this text, obviously, as we're talking about singing this morning, and we think about the command to sing, that is the specific command that is given to us to sing. Number three, notice... In both of these contexts, both of these verses, the idea or the concept of the heart, of the heart, singing and making melody in your heart, Ephesians 5.19. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, Colossians chapter 3, verse number 16. But then notice the fourth part, the fourth element. In both of these verses, we have the phrase, to the Lord, to the Lord. And so as we consider the great picture, the greater context of this text and consider the catalyst, now consider the specific elements of the command to one another, that we are to be individuals that are singing to one another, that it is something that we do from our hearts, and it's something that we do to the Lord. Four components. Now, an application as we consider this mandate to sing, as we consider the command to sing, In every congregation that I've ever been a part of, unfortunately, there are individuals who sit in the pews who do not sing. Who choose not to sing week in and week out. And and we notice you. Now I don't bring this up to to shame individuals or to, to point fingers, but we need to think about this. It's a mandate, it's a command. Now, in fairness, there, might be a, there could be up to five possibilities. Maybe there's just ignorance. Maybe individuals that aren't singing just don't know that, that God has commanded us to sing. Or maybe there's sickness. Fair, in fairness, there could be individuals that just, their vocal cords, you cannot sing. Okay, or maybe they have uh, bad allergies or they've lost their voice or maybe a really bad headache. And so to elevate your voice in singing perhaps would be difficult, understandable. But there could be individuals that simply just don't like to sing. It could also be individuals that are embarrassed to sing. Maybe they think that they have a bad singing voice, and so they choose not to sing. In a place like this, there's about 400 of us, and so, just so you know, your voice gets drowned out anyway, so we can't hear your bad voice if you feel like you have a bad voice, okay? But maybe what's worse, perhaps a fifth possibility is the idea of a hard heart the idea of a hard heart, in noticing the greater context and considering the wealth that we have as Christians, the spiritual blessings that we have, and the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ and how a response to Christ and who he is should be our singing. It's a natural outflow of who, we, who he is and who we th- realize who he is. Is it perhaps the case that some individuals resist the life of being a spirit-led individual And in turn, do not let the word of Christ dwell in them richly, and in turn, do not make the effort to sing to God. And so, only God can judge our hearts, as some people say. Only people, only God can really truly know what's in our hearts. But let it be known that when we see you not singing, and I don't know anybody in here that hasn't been singing. I I sat closer to the back, so I couldn't. When you're not singing, we wonder... Where is their heart? Where are they in their walk with the Lord? So why not just pray and teach? Why not just pray and preach? Why should we sing? We've considered the command to sing, but what is it about singing? Why words and music and not just words alone? Consider, secondly this morning, the music of singing. The music of singing, and as we, as we do that, consider first the inflection of singing, the inflection of singing. We, if you're not sure about whether or not singing matters, consider this. We understand the importance of inflection when we're talking to one another, right? And it's just the first thing that came to mind as I, was, as I was trying to come up with an example of this. Uh, my wife got a haircut just this last week, and it looks great. If she were to come to me and say, hey, how do you like my haircut? What do you think? And I would say, right, it, looks, it looks good. That's all right. You know. By definition, the words that I'm speaking, it looks good. Th- that means that I approve of it. I-, I think it looks good. I really do appreciate it. But you, you notice the difference there when I, eh, it looks good. And We understand the, the importance of inflection. <laughs> Honey, that looks great. It really looks good. That- that's probably going to mean a lot more to her and-, and convince her, right, of how I feel about it. Inflection, the, the inflection of singing is, is this. Consider that in a miraculous age. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 15. He says, I will sing with the Spirit, but I will also sing with the understanding. The understanding. When we sing, we should pay attention to how we sing certain songs. And so as we think about the words of the, of the song that we're singing... It should conjure up maybe particular emotions, and we should then emphasize certain words more because of the the feeling that surrounds or, or encompasses that idea. And so, what a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus, right? Or, blessed assurance. We understand how so often the way that we sing a song can communicate that maybe we're not in tune with what it is exactly that what it is that we're singing. And so as we consider the inflection of singing, the music of singing at large, it gives us an opportunity to pair, notice, to to assist us in making our matching our words with our hearts. It gives us that opportunity, that ability. And so as we lean upon the songwriters, the individuals that have put the music to the words, it helps us in pairing the feeling and the emotion with the words that we're actually singing but also consider the emotion of singing as we've already begun to talk about. James chapter 5 verse 13 is anyone cheerful let him sing praise. There's an association made here by James about the idea of cheer and happiness and emotion with the concept of singing. Now it's not simply the words. Though the words are perhaps the most important, the more important part of what we're doing, I want us to realize, I want us to take away this morning this, this fact, this idea. There is power in the melody in which we are singing along with the words. We have to recognize that. Otherwise, why wouldn't God perhaps just make us or, or, or ask us to chant or recite certain words? There's an expectation for us to sing. That is, the, the very definition of singing is putting words to music. Now, the, the type of music can vary from culture to, to other uh, sides of the world and in different continents and countries. And so the rhythm might be slightly different and the notes that we use might be a little bit, uh, vari- uh, have a little bit of variation. But putting words to music has power. Example. We marvel at the beauty of the human voice especially when it's tied to times of singing the national anthem. Perhaps there's a solo that is sung at a a sporting event before the game begins and we marvel and we appreciate that singing of the national anthem. We appreciate the words but we also appreciate the the ability of the, the vocalist. Now with the utmost respect to our soldiers and their families, If the national anthem brings a tear to your eyes, and it has mine. Because of the sacrifice of many, and and rightfully so, but songs about the sacrifice and love of Jesus do not reverberate in your heart. Self-reflection may be needed. Consider the emotion of singing, but also consider the instrument of singing the instrument of singing. If you're visiting with us this morning, it's likely that you have noticed, and maybe you've never been here before, maybe, maybe you've never visited uh, a congregation of the, the Churches of Christ, you'll notice that there are not any mechanical instruments here on the stage, on the, on the pulpit. But some state that Churches of Christ, in turn, do not have music. That's sometimes the allegation that's made. And then you might respond to that, well, you know, we we do have, yes, we have music. They may follow it up with, well, what I mean is, you don't use instruments. You don't use instruments. Have you ever considered that an honest response to this statement could actually be, yes, we do sing with an instrument? In fact, the only instrument that is authorized in the New Testament is the heart, the heart. In Ephesians chapter five, verse nineteen. Notice the phrase singing and making melody in your heart. The Greek word here for the the phrase making melody is the word solo. And the the literal interpretation of this word is to pluck or to pull out. So this word has been oftentimes applied to the idea of plucking and pulling out, maybe some type of string, maybe on a harp. But what's specifically said here in Ephesians 5.19 is to pull out and to pluck the heart. In fact, as we consider Colossians chapter 3 verse 16, a very similar phrase, not the same word, but the reference to the same instrument, the heart, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. We talked earlier about the fact that it is commanded for God's people to sing. But have you ever considered that one that is singing can actually be in just as much fault as one who is not singing and how is that yes you may be singing the words yes you may be hitting every note just right you may even have the best voice in this auditorium this morning but your singing could be unacceptable before god because you're not using the instrument that is to go along with it the instrument of the heart singing is an outflow an overpouring of our heart and who we are and the emotions that we have tied to it we can't just be going through the motions of singing the words and not thinking about what it is that we're singing and about who Jesus is as our Lord could it be said that in our zeal in our zeal to fight for the fact that in New Testament worship the only authorized instrument is the heart that unfortunately many members of the church have forgotten to use their heart Let it be said of us that that's not the case this morning. Let it be said of me that that's not the case. There's many more things that could be said about the instrument. But the sermon this morning is not about what we're not using. The sermon this morning is what God has called us to do in singing and to use the instrument of the heart. Consider finally this morning the motivation for singing. The motivation for singing. We sing because of what it means to God. Because of what it means to God. Because even as we referenced earlier, even God sings and recognizes its usefulness. We talk about the idea, perhaps you've heard of the idea of the, the love languages and how certain uh, individuals uh, appreciate the giving of gifts or maybe words of affirmations. And so uh, there's, there's different things that people appreciate more. And so you might say, that's my love language. It's interesting that, that God has been recorded as one who sings but also that he is one that has asked us to sing to him we sing because of what it means to God because God has asked us he's commanded us to sing to him if God came to you personally and said so and so I need you to do fill in the blank w- wouldn't you do it God has asked us to sing and as we talked about the command earlier and those that choose not to sing in the assembly you're doing something that God is a- not doing something that God has asked you to do and you're you're abstaining from your responsibilities we sing because of what it means to God, because it is a sacrifice before him. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips. That could be any number of, of ways, the way that we, we talk or, or the, the preaching that we do and the prayers that we offer, but also certainly the singing that we sing. It's a gift to God because it tells God what we think of him, because it tells God how we feel about him. It's an overflow, as we said earlier, of the heart. But we sing also because of what it means for others. We haven't spent much time on this just yet, but we we see in both texts there's this talking uh, to one another, speaking to one another, teaching and admonishing one another. We sing because of what it means to others. It teaches others. It's not just a warm-up for the sermon to come later so that then we can be taught. It's not just John or, or me this morning that is doing the teaching. Every single one of us here, as we've come to sing, are the ones that are doing the teaching as we sing to one another. Yes, we're singing to God as praise to him, but we are teaching one another. It admonishes others. It, it motivates and encourages it towards others towards holiness. It even convicts others. As we consider Acts chapter 16, verse 25, how the, 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 uh, the prisoners were listening to Paul and Silas. What happens in the, the, uh, the verses c- immediately following that? If you remember, the earthquake comes and, and Paul and Silas' shackles are, are let loose and, and they could have escaped if they would have liked, but they, do, they don't. And so the Philippian jailer comes thinking that the prisoners have left and they, he's about to kill himself and Paul and Silas say, stop. I wonder if the jailer also heard them singing just as the other prisoners did because it seems that by response to the, in response to the question that the jailer asked how am I to be saved that he may have recognized that these are individuals that know convicts others a few weeks ago at, at Peach Valley we sing because of, of what it means for others We're sitting there and and we have an opportunity to to get in our four different parts, if you will, to to learn the different notes. And, And so it gives you an opportunity to even sometimes sit across from someone else and see their faces. Well, at the risk of embarrassing her, Adrienne Ayala has the biggest smile on her face when she's singing. And she's someone, as we think about singing, what it means to others, she's someone that encouraged me as I was singing, because of the the grin, the happiness that was on her face. And and she was thinking about what it was that she was singing. She appreciated the work that was going into the melody. Another question, do you or does your family sing outside of these four walls? Singing shouldn't just be about the corporate worship assembly and only in the corporate worship assembly. If it's truly an overflow of our heart, we should be singing with our children at home and worshiping with them together. Even our husband, as husbands and wives, it might not be a bad idea. It's a little. Uh, go back to when I was younger. My parents, when my brother and I would be arguing. Jacob and I had to put our noses together and sing love one another. <laughs> now, I'm not advocating or saying that, that husband and wife should put your noses together and sing love one another. But it's really hard to be angry with each other when you sing certain songs with specific lyrics. Thinking about what Jesus has done for us. It really puts things in perspective. We sing because of what it means for me personally. It allows me to release or express my emotions in a productive way. It helps me to verbalize the greatness of God. It helps me or allows me to meaningfully express my gratitude to God. It helps me to remember responsibilities of holiness and righteousness. It helps me to be consistent with spiritual things, not carnal things. Melody even gives the opportunity for certain things to stick memory wise. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, if you've ever heard a preacher quote this from the pulpit, you can't help but hear them sing it, right? I am crucified with Christ nevertheless I live, right? And so you think about the song and the melody that goes along with it, it helps us, helps things stick in our minds. It allows me to be taught by others. It allows me to unite with my brethren. A complete picture of all this as we begin to close. If you're here on Wednesday night, Brother Sean Montandon taught us a great lesson on the, the title of the lesson was, This World Is Not My Home. And at the end of, this, of his lesson, we got together and we sang the song, This World Is Not My Home. And we, we opened up our songbooks even though the lights were out and the AC was off. If you weren't here, we, we lost power and we just sat in here in the dark and listened to Sean. A great lesson. And some might say, well, maybe the." will sing. And so at, at the end, as we were singing that song, I, I'm, I'm willing to say that that was probably the best singing that I've heard in this building since we've been here. And some might say maybe it's because the lights were off or it certainly wasn't because the AC was off, we were uncomfortable. I think it was because Sean delivered such a powerful message to us about the fact that this world is not our home and as we began to sing the words of those song, that song, we began to think about what we were singing. We began to really put into practice what it meant, the idea that this world is not our home. And as the singing that we were doing Make connection with the hearts that we had and the minds that we had after having listened to that sermon, our singing was better. Are you preparing your mind for worship when you come on Sunday morning and Wednesday and Sunday evening? Are you preparing your mind to think about what God has done for you? Maybe our singing would be better if each and every one of us were here at Bible class because when we prepare our minds during Bible class, it allows for us to be prepared for our singing. I'll never forget the first funeral that I, I preached a number of years ago it was for Aaron's grandmother. And I, w- I was emotional because I was close to her. She was a special lady. And uh, my dad uh, came to the funeral and he reminded me that I needed to, through the preaching of the funeral, I needed to be strong, try not to break down because uh, you know we need to try to keep it together for, for the entire family during that point. That's as I got down and sat down, we began to sing it as well with my soul. And, and emotionally I lost it. Uh, I began to cry and all of the thoughts that were flooding my mind about this special lady but also because of where she was and is now as a faithful Christian And as we think about the singing that we do and the connections that's made between our hearts and our minds and the outflow of our, of our voices we need to recognize the power that singing is in a very loose sense the singing that we are doing now is, in, is an audition For the singing that we're going to be doing in eternity. It's not to say that our talent, as we mentioned earlier, is not about how well we sing. But the audition that we're doing now is one from our heart. If you don't like to sing now, you're not going to like to sing then either, probably. What song will you sing in eternity? Will you be part of those singing the new song as is spoken about in Revelation chapter 14, or are you going to be making the noise? of weeping and gnashing of teeth. This morning, we want you to be part of the, the Lord's kingdom, part of his church, part of the body that comes together to sing each and every week, to encourage one another, to lift up our voices and praise to God and to be individuals that have the overflow of our heart. Maybe you haven't been doing that. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you are a Christian and you haven't been singing either. You need to repent of that because of the command from God, just as any other command uh, expects things of us. We want you to be right with the Lord, and we want you to teach us, and we want to be able to teach you. If there's anything we can do for you this morning, we ask that you come together as we stand and as we sing.